From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. Today's special guest, CPR political editor Megan Verlee. Hey guys, it's always fun to be here. Megan, we're especially happy to have you here with us for this episode because we'll be discussing a topic that you've had a lot of interest in over the years. Big picture, we will be discussing parents' rights. And people may be surprised to realize that a lot of bills and a lot of issues fall under the banner of parents' rights and how you define it and how you define the role of government. And it seeps into a lot of policy areas. Exactly. We hear all these sort of hot-button cultural debates at the Capitol around sex ed or uh, counseling for gay teens. And they get discussed issue by issue. But what I've watched over the years is how philosophically different people can be in the Capitol around is the goal of government to stay out of the family and to keep the family as the ultimate authority? Or does the government have an interest in stepping in and taking actions that it thinks benefit either uh, children specifically or kind of the greater good of society? And these two camps fight it out on a lot of fronts, and especially this year and, and recently in the legislature, this has just come to the fore. Yeah, and what, what we've seen is the idea of parents' rights specifically becoming a conservative response to this perception of, of liberal expansion of government power. And we saw it on full display on Thursday night at this massively long hearing that I attended. I'll tell you a little bit more about later. But it could be a real animating force for conservative voters. I'm excited to explore it. Well, before we get into all that, we are going to discuss those measures that are getting the most attention on the state's legislative website. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. I decided to find out just how hot are these hot bills? How many how many clicks are we talking about here? And I talked to the state legislative IT folks and they gave me some figures. And they said the most access bill numbers refer to bills that just in a really short time period are getting a lot of attention. The numbers range between about 1400 to maybe close to 3000. Oh, that's pretty decent. I was scared it was like 12. And keep in mind, it's a higher figure for for the whole session because you have bills that were introduced on the first day that are, are continually getting clicks. So, Andy, why don't you start us off? Well, one bill that got a lot of attention this week was titled the Colorado Natural Marriage and Adoption Act. And you could probably imagine what it does. It was actually a, a ban on same-sex marriage, a ban on same-sex adoption. So, I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court's kind of weighed in here, and we have gay marriage uh, it's legal in this country. So what are you hearing in this committee? What was kind of the, the overall goal here? Well, what we know is that everyone knew it was a lost cause. Nobody thought this bill was going anywhere. It was, as they say, a message bill. But it still surprised even people in Republican corners. We heard from former lawmakers who said it was just, you know, a waste of time. Same-sex marriage is essentially a settled issue in both parties at this point, 60 plus percent approval nationwide in, in Yelp polls. I, I think you saw something really interesting with that, which was Republicans arguing with each other about how they want their party to be known. So you had a lot of former Republican lawmakers, I was seeing them on Twitter too, being like, this is bad branding for the Republican Party. Let it go. And then you talked to the the sponsors and folks in the state house who said, no, this is exactly how we want voters to think about it. That's right. That confusion didn't really happen inside of the state house, that kind of intra-party discussion. This was not, you know, a universal Republican bill. It didn't have the support of most of the caucus, but no Republican leader spoke out against it. Nobody really of any importance took a position one way or another. And, you know, when I talked to one of the sponsors, Representative 
Shane Sandridge, he defaulted to, you know, the same kind of argument that we heard more than a decade ago when this was actually a a matter for public debate. What I want is uh, I just want it to be known and be the freedom to say, I I think a same-sex marriage or a uh, a marriage, traditional marriage is the top goal. He wasn't the prime sponsor. And when I pushed him on some more of the details, like I asked Rep. Sandridge, if you're just expressing your preference, is it still really necessary to ban adoption by same-sex couples? Um, and he said, well, don't worry so much about the details of the bill. We're trying to send a message here. To me, it's interesting that it was a foregone conclusion because I've covered all the second parent adoption measures. And years ago, this was just such a tense issue at the Capitol, and we never knew which way things were going to fall. Another bill that has been recently getting a lot of attention on the legislative website is the Born Alive Act. Uh, it was recently up in committee. That was its only uh, shot in committee because it was voted down. And this would have required doctors performing abortions should the fetus be born alive to give it medical care and attention and get it to a hospital. The folks who supported this bill said uh, this is just compassionate. This is humanitarian. We don't want a situation where doctors could legally leave a, a live infant to die. Um, a opponent said, this is a fantasy. This is a solution in search of a problem. Abortions do not result in live births in the vast, 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 vast majority of times. And so creating a law around it suggests that this is a more common scenario than it is. And they argued that it was just a way to demonize the abortion procedure uh, and pointed out that there is a 2002 federal law that says that doctors have to treat live infants as they would treat anyone else. So they say, even were this scenario ever to happen, another law would be unnecessary. Well, you know, so that one grabbed a few headlines, but I think the abortion issue with more staying power will be the concept of the 22-week abortion ban. Came up in a bill that was rejected, but there appears to be quite a well-organized campaign to gather signatures and put this on the November ballot. And we can only imagine what uh, the ballot campaign would look like, you know, this is only going to make November 2020 even more intense. We should know whether that's going to be on the ballot in March. And then I was tracking Senate Bill 163, school entry immunization. So it aims to boost childhood immunization rates. It doesn't change the exemptions that are currently in place. So right now, people in Colorado can opt a child out of vaccines for a medical reason, if you have a personal belief, a religious belief. But it does change the process a little bit. You'd have to get information from a immunization provider get a signature or you can watch an online video that the state health department would be producing. And so when this bill goes up for a hearing, I think we're going to hear a lot of the arguments that go straight to our main topic for this episode, the power of the state versus the power of the family, parents' rights, other people's rights. I heard all about this Thursday night. I spent the better part of 11 hours in the House State Affairs Committee, Ooh. better known as the Kill Committee. Uh, that's where they send, the Democrats who are in power send all the bills that they are ready to get rid of. And on Thursday, that was just a wide-ranging slate of culturally conservative bills, ban on same-sex marriage, a ban on medical interventions for trans kids. But the real showstopper, the one that drew dozens of you know mothers and lgbt advocates and just 
everybody was called the Parents' Bill of Rights. As a dad myself, I'm severely concerned about the government getting in between the rights of a parent and their child. When young people choose not to bring their parents into a decision they are making about their identity, this is done for self-preservation. It appears that some, primarily interested in supporting agendas of special interest, want to remove parents from the equation of raising their children. And the Parents' Bill of Rights, you know, had, t- takes this dead simple message, it was a, a Republican bill, and it basically says that parents have this inalienable and, and ultimate right to dictate how their kids are going to grow up. And that means the government does not get to interfere. That's right. Yes. And, you know, that that was enough to animate a lot of people to come out because the family, obviously, very important to voters of all stripes, but especially in conservative circles. Uh, there's this growing concept that all these liberal bills, all these democratic bills are chipping away at the family unit and the authority of the parents. And that's everything from vaccination guidelines to sex ed. Some people are even worried that their kids are getting counseling at school and they don't know what the kids are saying to their their therapists. It was interesting to me, I was eavesdropping online to that hearing, uh, that you heard these two very distinct threads. You would have parents who came in and said, look, the, the healthiest thing for, for a child is to be have a close relationship with their parent. And if the state is stepping in and making it possible for my kid to get therapy without me knowing or to join clubs I'm not aware of or to, to get you know sex ed that I don't get to sign off on, uh, then I am shut out of their life and I can't play the role that I need to in guiding and shaping and helping them grow into a healthy adult. We will fight parents like me, individuals, we will fight to support our rights. And then you had um, particularly uh, uh, gay and lesbian uh, adults and also people who work as uh, guardian ad litem in the, the child welfare system coming in and saying, look, not all kids have a supportive parent. There are kids out there who, if they don't have some, the ability to get help somewhere else, are not going to succeed because their parents don't support them or are actually abusive and there are ways that this law could be used to aid abusers. Um, I think we have heard some really powerful um, stories of love and care in this room. Everyone in this room is deeply committed to their children and that is beautiful and important. And I think the the problem that I see in this bill is that we know that that is not true across the board, across the state. It was a really stark contrast and a really stark distinction between how those two sides viewed the family and whether to, to think about the family as a highly functional unit that needs to be supportive or to worry about families that are not functional. And when I talked to Republican Senator Bob Gardner, he's from Colorado Springs, and he had, he sponsored a bill that also failed that was related to this that would have required schools to email parents curriculum for sex education classes. And he, he crystallized your point really well. Those on the other side say, well, not every family is functional. I, I think a good deal more families are, are very functional than dysfunctional. But I will tell you that the more the state intervenes, the more the state takes responsibility from parents, the more of a society we create where parents who want to take responsibility have difficulty doing so. And that shouldn't be the case. I think there's a really interesting philosophical thing happening here that we, it's a big picture that I think we miss often as we look at things bill by bill, policy by policy. You know, Republicans talk about being the party of small government, and that usually gets defined as like, you know, a light hand on business, not a lot of regulations. Uh, But it also means, as you hear from Senator Gardner there, 
being a small government when it comes to the family unit and to laws that that might impose on the family sphere. And I thought that was a, a you know, I mean, maybe I'm just the one, the only one who's been missing that. But I, I thought that was an interesting extension of that idea of the small government party. So I talked to Laurel Elder, who studies family and politics at Hartwick College. And what she said was that politicians didn't really talk about family until the 1980s. So this language that is in the Colorado parental or family bill of rights, it is very similar to things we saw in our research starting really in the 1980s, where the Republican Party says that, um, you know, the liberals and the Democratic Party are destroying the family and that um, government needs to stay out of the lives of parents and families. I do think one thing that's been interesting about this, though, is that while um, the rhetoric kind of splits on the, the, the two sides, it's not always... Uh, that Republicans don't want to run bills that uh, might infringe on the family. They're actually in this marathon hearing that, that you were at and I was listening to, Andy, was a bill that would have barred medical professionals from um, giving uh, gender affirming treatments to transgender minors. We've talked about it a lot in hot bills because a lot of people have been looking at it. And when uh, tra- parents of trans youth got up to testify, a number of them said, these are treatments I want for my child. This is a decision I want to make as a parent with my medical professional, and you're saying I can't. So it was interesting that in the very same hearing where most uh, of the argument was around how Democratic bills were in- infringing on family authority, you then, much several hours later, had the exact opposite dynamic where this Republican bill was, was seen as doing the same thing. I think some of this may be a backlash to bills we've seen in recent years that have largely been pushed by Democrats. I'm thinking of one measure that was discussed last session, and it would allow middle schoolers to access confidential mental health counselors at school, for instance. And there was a lot of discussion about when a parent should be notified that that was happening. And a lot of lawmakers didn't feel comfortable with someone as young as 13, 14 going to a counselor without a parent knowing. And now, of course, there's going to be this big debate over vaccines at the Capitol this year and whether the state has the right to, even in minor ways, try to nudge families into vaccination. Right. And I think some of the supporters of vaccination just feel like this this argument of parents' rights is overshadowing the, the health debate and the urgency they feel over our low immunization rates. Stephanie James is a mother of two who did come to the Capitol to testify in that hearing Thursday against the Parents' Bill of Rights. They use that as an excuse because they are hesitant about immunizations and they don't want to vaccinate their children. And when they do that, then they can potentially expose my children to these diseases. And that, I think, interferes with my child's rights. Just to put a fine point on it, it feels as if, you know, the liberal point of view on a lot of these is that there are certain universal social actions that we want to see that are going to be good for everybody. You know, they argue vaccination or giving kids space outside of their parents to discuss their sexuality. And that just runs counter to some of these conservatives' ideas that the parents should have absolute rights. It's kind of the unit of concern. Is your unit of concern the collective society, which I think is where Democrats tend to put their focus, or is your unit of concern the private sphere and the family, which I think is where conservatives tend to put more of their focus? I I think Republicans aren't monolithic on this. Uh, Lawmakers passed a ban on conversion therapy for minors that had bipartisan support. There was a health survey data collection that uh, some in the GOP felt infringed on parents' 
women's rights, that had GOP support. And one lawmaker, Republican Senator Don Coram, has been one of those GOP members that's backed some of these largely Democratic bills. And he says sometimes, he, you know, he thinks the public good or this larger health concern is ultimately the top priority. He wishes people on the far right, far left would just kind of calm down over everything. We're going to wrap up this week's episode with our final segment. Wait, what? And I had a fun little bit of sound I got actually when I was interviewing Senator Don Coram and the discussion diverged a little bit and we talked about the Democratic presidential primary in New Hampshire. To all my Democrat friends who are feeling the burn, just to let you know while we're biding time that let me give you a warn. For Pete's sakes, it's not over yet, folks. Oh, my God. I actually heard him working on that in, in one of the Capitol rooms. I love that. I so love... That, that was like a days-long joke that I think you heard. He was going to say it on the Senate floor, but then decided against it. I'm so glad he said it to you. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll broadcast that out there then. I do love a terrible pun. Uh, I have one also actually relating to the the presidential race, which we have this feature, Colorado Wonders, where listeners send us things they're wondering about. And somebody wrote in uh, and said, did you know there is a Republican on the Democratic presidential primary ballot? You've got to look into this and let people know. And our investigative editor sent it to me and was like, I I think this is right. Like, this could be a really big deal. So I start looking and indeed there is uh, Rocky De La Fuente on the Democratic primary ballot in Colorado. And if you go look at the FEC website, the Federal Elections Commission, Rocky De La Fuente is registered as a Republican. And I thought, oh, we've got a scoop. This is going to be good. Well, wait, what's going on here exactly? (laughs) Turns out there is Rocky De La Fuente Republican candidate, and Rocky De La Fuente, the third Democratic candidate, father, son. Uh, The father is a California uh, businessman. He's put like $15 million in his war chest. He wants to take on Trump in the primary. His son, known as RD3, uh, is in the Democratic primary, and somehow father put in paperwork for the Republican primary and then withdrew, so he's not on any of our ballots. Son, who has no website, no campaign presence, not sure if he's really running, is. So if you see Rocky De La Fuente on your Democratic primary ballot, he is a Democrat. Uh, there is a Republican of the same name. And I'm actually really sad that they're not both on the ballots to really confuse us wow. all. That That's confusing. It's oh, it so confusing. Family. Well, my little wait what moment is more of a hmm. And when I was talking to Laura Elder, the professor on family and politics, you know, I saw a lot of young conservative moms And what I actually learned from Laura Elder, though, was that there is something called a motherhood liberalism effect where people who have mothers who have children, rather, tend to get more liberal on a lot of social issues. But then I asked, is is there also an effect where, uh, you know, parents get really mad and go to a lot of legislative hearings? Because that was certainly my theory from Thursday. No, parents have no more interest in politics or no less interest than anybody else. And actually, they're probably too busy being parents to really do a lot of politicking. I love that this was news to the one person on the podcast without children. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and Megan Verlee. 
This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. If you are enjoying Purplish, help other people find us. Review us on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share links to us in your social media accounts and follow us all on Twitter. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. You mean it's De La Fuente? But we already recorded and I got it wrong so many times.